ESPN.com. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping busy. Um, the hope is that the NBA is coming back next month. So I've been, you know, putting together, uh, I've been on a few five-on-fives where we're talking about storylines to look for if the NBA comes back. And analytics-wise, I'm, I'm looking to see what can we expect from, um, uh, from, from the, the best players in the league when they come back. And so that's kind of what I'm working on now, and I'm just crossing my fingers and toes, hoping that it actually happens. Well, then come back on the show. Now, away from our nonsense on this redraft, but we need to talk some some NBA because, as you mentioned, it's right around the corner. A little bit more conversation and more. So we look forward to that. (laughs) I can't do that. Good job. (laughs) Thanks, man. All right. Have a good one. There's Andre Snellings, our uh, analytics expert, who uh, makes fun of uh, Davis and I for our, our redraft for 2001. How about Gideon checking in? How about that? I like that. That was funny. <laughs> I had to, I was like, I got to pass this through. He's just ranting about Trent Hassel. <laughs> but for real, though, yeah. like, you see that Gilbert Arenas was going to be a good player. He's right there for you. And at I want to say his tournament, his tournament run that spring was, like, amazing. But, nah, you don't need that. Nah. I mean... It's not even a fit situation. Look at the team. It's 2001. Imagine him scoring with Jamal Crawford and Tyson and Eddie and that roster. This is where the theme song fits perfectly. Only the Bulls. (laughs) Only the Bulls. I'm doing sports radio from 19 years ago yelling about (laughs) Trenassel. But but I'm just saying, though, that's just, just part of the ridiculousness of uh, the Bulls. All right, coming up, baseball is back. But what does that mean for the long haul for the sport? We'll talk about it in two minutes right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Hi, everybody. On ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. From State Street and the First Midwest Bank Studio, this is WMVP Chicago, ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. It's Under the Hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Glad you're with me here on this Wednesday night. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights at 7 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Baseball finally has returned. Showing up to the party like... You know, they're showing up to the party as the hosts are cleaning up the place. They're so late. Here we are talking about this on the 24th of June, and we come to find out that baseball will be returning in late July. Does that sound anything like baseball? For baseball to return in late July? I mean, it's something, right? That should be the slogan for baseball. It's something, right? I mean, it's 60 games. But we don't even get 81. We're not even getting 82 games. Not even half the season. We're getting 60 games of mere pittance of what, you and I deserve as baseball fans. And again, if this was a situation where it was COVID-19, where baseball said it's not safe for baseball to return because of COVID-19, that's one thing. But this is about players and owners. This is exactly what it is. It's kind of like, you know, there's beer bottles all over the floors and the tables and there's empty chip bags and there's some foul weed that's coming from the party. And here comes baseball with their Tommy Bahama shirt and their socks and their slides. And they're saying, Oh, time to party. Where's the party? Like, well, everyone's gone. There's there's no party. Here you come late to the party. And the party was a start at least in May. But you take a look at how many times that baseball 
Major League Baseball with the owners and the players went back and forth across the table. It's just kind of like, you know, this does nothing for Rob Manfred and his legacy does nothing for the players of 2020 or the owners. Ideally for me, baseball could start in April and end at the end of September. Davis, I've always said this, like baseball needs to be able to catch up with the times. I'm glad that they're going to experiment some things here uh, in 2020 in the shortened season, but you know, not enough people are invested in the NBA or NHL season. So I, I don't have a problem if it ended uh, early all season, but you know that's not going to happen. It's still the tradition of 162 games and having the players play to 16, 17, 18 innings, these epic games. If you don't modernize your sport, you will be left behind, period. So it's, it's as simple as that. You've got to be able to modernize your game, even the National Hockey League. And more and more as we see all these negotiations with um, – with Major League Baseball and them being slow to come back to the sports landscape of 2020, well, it's like the NHL is looking better and better as far as them trying to modernize the game and do things a little bit differently than we saw 10, 20 years ago. But, uh, you know, I, I look at it like this, is that the reason why that the owners and the players did not come back sooner is because they don't care about you and I, the common folk. And they don't care about that. What they care about is... The measuring contest. Who won in the battle? It's the same thing in 94 at the strike. Who won in the battle between the owners and the players? And it, that, what matters is, are the fans winning? You and I, the common folk to them. And because a lot of these players are millionaires and billionaires, and all of these guys have generational wealth, while so many people in this country, so many people in this state are unemployed, or some of these people are, are being furloughed, and we're trying to figure out how we can pay uh, for the light bill, for the gas bill, uh, and try to figure out how we can live check to check. And these ball players here couldn't care less because what it is is who won the battle between the owners and players. How, who who's going to blink first? Well, we've been blinking looking for baseball for since May, and here they come in late July with sixty games. It's crazy. As we talk about this. With Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. So, Doug Landville, Major League Baseball analyst for NBC Sports Chicago, talked about the players. And the question was posed, will players be ready? It's difficult to stay in shape when you're you know, used to this rhythm of having an off-season training, then starting up, and then all of a sudden, in this case, just pulling back. And, you know, pitching is going to be a big question mark because you know, more and more with the advent of, you know, looking at the bullpen usage and how there's so many different arms that come into a game, you know, you're not going to be able to go, you know, nine innings right out of the gate. It's going to be uh, a lot of different players and how that's going to look and play out from an injury standpoint is hugely uncertain. So uh, what's exciting, and I heard it in your sort of intro, is the innovation. You know, what, what could possibly happen? You could try all kinds of things now uh, to spice the game up and give fan access uh, there's so much there that you can turn what is now a sprint instead of the marathon we used to always talk about into something very innovative and very exciting. What's also important is COVID-19 because it still lingers. And I know that for some, COVID-19 is just a rumor. It's it's not even true. These Those amount of deaths that we see on television, on our screens, uh, on our social media, those things aren't true. There's really no COVID-19. There's no need for me to wear a mask. Look, I'm not going to shame you into wearing a mask if you don't wear one, but the point is that I, I wear one to protect you just in case, right? 
if, if COVID-19 is still out there and scientists that have been studying this for 40 years or more are saying that this is something that's going on, look, I, I'm going to acquiesce because I don't want to get you sick and I want you to get me sick. So that's that's how I look at things. I mean, it, this is not about a side of an aisle. This is just about humanity and making sure that all of us are healthy. But, you know, the question still stands. And and this is something I talked about earlier um, and I still feel strongly that there are some that are in high places, general managers, owners, they look at baseball, look at these players and it's like, you know what? I just need them to play. Um, you know, COVID-19 be damned. We can quarantine these players and just keep the, keep it moving. This is what the UFC has done. The UFC done the same thing. They are taking their time and just like, Hey, someone's got COVID-19. Cool. Just move the drill. We're still going to keep playing. Same thing with wrestling, the WWE, uh, and AEW, both major brands in pro wrestling, have wrestlers that are uh, that have COVID nineteen. It's not stopping them from having the Great American Bash or Fighter Fest or whatever uh, events they're going to have. They're just going to keep it moving instead of just being able to lock down and then come back when it's safe. They don't care. Both organizations in Florida, by the way. Jeff Passan, what happens you know, if baseball uh, players test positive? I had a player text me a couple of minutes ago saying, what happens if I test positive on the road? Do I just get to like hang out at the Four Seasons in this road city for a week and hang out and order room service? And yeah, I think that's pretty much the answer. You know, the NBA and and the NHL, if and when they do come back, have those questions taken care of being in a bubble. Major League Baseball is going to be traveling. There are going to be bus trips. There are going to be plane trips. There are going to be hotel stays. There are going to be all these different disparate elements that are going to be difficult to contain. Thoughts there from Jeff Passan from ESPN.com. Also, Book Shambi, one of the voices of Major League Baseball on ESPN Radio, was talking about the presentation. The presentation of all of this is very important. Look, I'm excited. We still got a month before they play. But the one point that I would that I would make is, man, presentation is important. Yep. Like this isn't as, like this can't look like you know the webcast of a big game on a backfield in spring training because. Fans will be fun, happy that it's back, for, and then it'll put them to sleep. So, like, they've got to make sure that the presentation of it is is at least decent. So there's uh, Book Shambi uh, talking about uh, baseball. But, but it, my thought is very simple, and that is that, yes, the Cubs and Sox and everything else, Major League Baseball, it will return. Great. But, again, we are um, amid COVID-19, and I'm not wanting – our favorite players that we talk about on a daily basis to get sick. And I don't want them to be in a position where they're going to be in a lot of trouble from a, a, a physical standpoint. I mean, they might be superheroes and sports heroes to you and I, but they're still human beings and we have to treat them as such. And I just think it is amazing to watch major league baseball and how I don't see their plan for COVID-19 yet. I see I see the NBA's plan. They had a 100-page plan. And check, check this out, Davis. They're, the, part of the NBA plan, and I, I don't expect you to go through every page, but I went through a lot of it last week. So in the bylaws of the NBA during this COVID-19, they want to make sure that no players play doubles ping pong. Yeah, only one-on-one. What about basketball? 
Is everybody going to be spaced out five on five where it's going to be six feet between each player? They're going to run Dean Smith four corners. <laughs> The NBA. Uh, I love the league, but just like you, you can't put in the bylaws like, oh, so make sure that, you know, when you're in your game room, you cannot play doubles ping pong. So, I mean, you can't have four people. He's got to be just one on one. Like, so what's ba- So let's play Jeopardy. What is basketball? <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, there's, there's not going to be separation between all the players. They all actually, because it's a phys- physical sport, you do have to touch at some point. Now, take not? a chance when you're playing the game for us. But when you're off the court, take a step back. I mean, it, it's this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. This, this is exactly what I'm talking about this segment, and that is that COVID-19 is still lingering, but yet sports – Commissioners and owners are trying to get their sports in because of you know money, and and that the players are interchangeable. Just think about that. It's not like you get ten guys on the floor with masks. <laughs> you know they have to play basketball the way they know to play basketball, and so and there's some players. You told me earlier, uh, Avery Bradley will not play, right? Yeah, he opted out today. Today is the deadline to opt out players and then the last rosters have to be set july the first for the nba so today was the last day for players to opt out mm-hmm. yeah so it just it's just amazing to me i tell you what all right coming up next an anniversary and a special um a really a special award for a very solid player i think in chicago sports we'll talk about that coming up next on uth is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Chicago Blackhawks. This day in Blackhawks history, the Blackhawks get the job done, defeating the Boston Bruins by the score of four to two. It's highlights right there on the Blackhawks radio network. And uh, boy, you talk about some of the great moments for the Blackhawks. If you were a new Hawks fan and lived that era of three Stanley Cup championships, pretty strong. Now, Davis, you were in 2013, you were still at GN, right? Weren't you producing those games? No, I had not arrived quite yet. All Any of those championships? 2015, 15. Tampa Bay. Definitely. They won it at home. I'll remember that night for the rest of my life. It was just, it just a great 
moment and great times to, to think about the Blackhawks. And they were, the Blackhawks had that on their Twitter page, twitter.com, uh, and just talking about just um, the great moments for the Blackhawks. And, uh, man, <clears throat> I still think that Joel Quinville should be the head coach of the Hawks. I know we got to turn the page here because we're in the Colleton era, but, boy, it just, it just seemed like everything just came together. Young players... With the arrows pointing up, it's not like they won it every year, but they, they had an era there. And so it's interesting. I just saw the Blackhawks' Twitter page, and they had that highlight. And, of course, speaking of the, the Blackhawks, Marion Hossa is going to go to the Hall of Fame. So the Hockey Hall of Fame on Wednesday announced a six-member class uh, for 2020. Jerome Ginlet, uh Marion Hossa are part of that class. The class also included defensemen Kevin Lowe and Doug Wilson, um, Kim St. Pierre in the women's category and Ken Holland, the general manager of the Oilers in the builder in the builder category. Aginla is one of the more respected players in recent NHL history. He's considered one of the great games uh, ambassadors. He's going to be the fourth black player inducted after Grant Fuhr, Angela James, and Willie O'Ree. Aginla uh, and Fuhr are the only black NHL players enshrined for their on-ice accomplishments, while O'Ree was chosen in the builder category. So congratulations to all that's going to be in there. Aginla, but Marion Hossa. And I... I it slipped past me. I don't know, Davis, if they go in and they can choose the jersey or the sweater that they want. But, like, Hosa to me meant so much to the Blackhawks. Like, that should be the guy, right? You have to take that sweater over the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so, too. And a lot of people, look, what he did for that team when he came, it was one of his deal was, like, a crazy, I want to say a 10-year deal or something like that at the time. And then... On top of that, the demise of the Blackhawks, you can trace back to when he got sick and had to lead the game. Yeah. That they lost toughness. They lost leadership. Marion Hosa meant a lot to that ball club and that organization. So, yeah. Not ball club. Yeah, I said ball club. Like, that <laughs> hockey team. I'm sorry. It's a hockey club. To that hockey club. That's what I meant to say. I said ball <laughs> <laughs> Not the, the hockey club. Hey, I'm excited about baseball, man. Uh, what no, else can I say? No, you're excited about baseball. No, football. I am. Let me tell you why, Hood. Why? I'm excited because I did not want this year. We have a young team on the south side. Yeah. And I didn't want them not to play this year and develop. I want them to 60 games, play, develop. I want Louis Robert to get that experience. I want Eloy to get more bats. That's moved towards the ultimate goal, which is us winning a championship in the next two years. Yeah. That's, that, that's why I wanted them to play. That's fair. Yeah. This 60 games, someone asked me on Snapchat, Snap J Hood, yesterday, um, whether, you know, how, how do you assess the Cubs in particular with David Ross? I just think for everybody, it's such a sprint that I can't evaluate anything in 60 games. It isn't even half the season. But – to be able to get on the field and have some experience, great. Like, like I said, I'm not going to be one of these guys that says it's an asterisk and this, the season doesn't count. The season is what the season is. It's just that it's not going to be the full season. It won't even be half. But just to, for the Sox, from their standpoint, and a lot of teams, they just want to get their guys on the field to evaluate and figure out what they want to do for the future. So I totally get it. Yeah, younger teams are dangerous, too, in this sprint. Because we've seen young teams – get off to great starts, and then once we get into the dog days of summer, 
you start to see the lack of experience and the lack of depth on that team come into play. Well, 60 games, you're not doing that. And then you have the expanded roster. You don't have to worry about the uh, – you have the universal DH. So everything oh, is different. Everything is different. The DH, the way God wanted it. Yeah. Universal, the way I wanted it. I just – I love, like, Jesse and some of these National League guys talking about the DH. It's funny because it's just like, oh, it takes the strategy out of the game. What, stra- what strategy? The strategy of pulling a pitcher that can't hit, there's only like four or five of them that actually can hit the baseball well. And if they can hit it that well, but about them seventh, <laughs> if they're that good. Why are they languishing in the ninth spot? Because they're really not that good. It's been a waste of time forever. I'm just, because I'm a White Sox fan, an American League guy, that's just the kind of baseball that I've enjoyed. This whole thing of strategy. Well, you know, listen, uh, if a manager can't stay awake because he's got a DH in his lineup, then he shouldn't be managing. Hey, throw strikes, hit the ball, and catch the ball. That's the strategy for all teams. Uh, I had to take my Zyrtec today. See that? <laughs> Ooh, the, the, the allergies are kicking in at 926. It's that season. Gosh, bad. Uh, can I ask you a question? Sure. It, it, Davis, is it... Um, is it just my area on the south side, or is it you in the south suburbs as well? I know where you're going. Where you're hearing... Uh, not just fireworks, but you're hearing like M80s. You, it's more than that, though. See, here, yeah. here's the thing: M80s in my era uh, of uh, popping firecrackers, uh, using fireworks, was the ultimate. I just want to know, like, what is this that we're hearing now? Like, I'm not, ne- I'm never bothered between. Uh, say mid June and mid July, because I know I got to deal with this for at least thirty days. Look, I'm on the southeast side. I'm in South Shore, so I'm really close to the Indiana border. I mean, I'm like I'm very close to it, so I know that there are people coming across the uh, you know, come across the Indiana border. They go to Whiting or they go to Hammond, and they get these fireworks and they bring them across the border and they're popping them. But I, I like what we're hearing here is completely different than what I've heard in years. Like, this is not the normal fireworks that you're getting. This is a whole different brand that we're hearing right yeah. now. Was it an influx of cash, or is this just a result of, like, looting the supply? Because it seems like it's an endless supply of fireworks. Where are they getting them from? Well, they're definitely getting it from Indiana, but I just, like... You know the Hammond and Whiting police wouldn't gonna have that. Like they, they I mean, that, I mean that and cigarettes and gas are the three things that that uh, that supplies the economy in that state. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you think I cr- go? You know, take go the across. twenty. Why do you think I make take the twenty five minute drive to go to Indiana to get my gas? Right. I mean, or, or to go to the store if I'm going kicking it at a Strachan Van Til to get the the tax break. I mean, come on now. Strachan Van Til, pretty good bakery. <laughs> Excellent, bakery, no question about it. Uh, but, but what we're hearing here with these fireworks is completely different than what we are normally hearing. Yeah, and it's late night and then middle of the day. See, like, like 2 o'clock, and you'll just hear some fireworks going off. And it's like, what is going on? What is, what, for what? Like, when you hear it, especially when you're south, you're used to hearing it. And you don't know if it's gunfire or fireworks. It's, uh, but after a while, it sounds the same. Yeah, but but it's like, damn! Like, what is that? Like that? And I looked outside once. I was watering the grass, and I was just kind of looked up in the sky, and I'm like, "Am I a guaranteed rate? Like, what what is that? <laughs> like, someone just hit a home run, right? <laughs> like, wait! I said, wait a second! You can't have fireworks that 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 good and that high 
where it looks like, you know, uh, Robert is in a home run. Jimenez is in a home run. Like that, that is some kind of firework. Cause I'm just trying to think it's not that, you know, did you loot the firework, uh, store? Like where'd you get the money in this pandemic? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Like, where is this cash for extra fireworks coming from? Where? <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little uh, taken aback by it. I'll be honest with you, because it's like I'm used to the sound, but this is just unbelievable. It's like boom. What is that? Jeez, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm trying not to be the old guy that's going to complain uh, about you know fireworks every year, but this is just a different level. And I think that you should do something about it. Oh, man, I don't know about that. Joe from Park Ridge wants to weigh in on the fireworks. <laughs> Joe, welcome to Under the Hood. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. And you? I'm, I'm well. I, I'm deaf uh, because of the fireworks we've been hearing. It's not even July. What, what, are right. you hear, what are you hearing out there? Well, I'm in Park Ridge. You know, it's pretty far north. Mm-hmm. But I do Uber I do uh, Uber Eats, you know, so I'm driving all over the place. But it's not just south side. It's everywhere. And it's every night. Last night, I'm delivering at, like, 2 in the morning, mm-hmm. and they're still, I mean, like, they're not small fireworks either. This is like if you go to a fireworks show, and they're being blasted off, and it's 2 in the morning. <laughs> I, I just, it's pretty I, crazy, but it, I kind of like it. It's, it's, it's exciting, you know, uh, a little change of pace for mid-June <laughs> yeah. to see a bunch of fireworks blasting off every night. It's not, and it's not any, it's every night. Last night is what Tuesday? Yeah, a random Tuesday at two a, at two a.m. Fireworks are being there's a firework display <laughs> between uh, Rosemont and Schiller Park. Wow, it's every night. <laughs> it's awesome. It, I mean, I get it. it. You might be a little bit closer to it, so <laughs> it might not be so awesome to you. Yeah, but. but- what if you're trying to get? What, what if you're trying to sleep at two a.m.? What about that? That's unfortunate for them, I, right? I'm delivering, you know, so I'm enjoying it. It's uh, it's entertainment. I'll give, I I got to say that I'm a little shocked, though. I, I like you said, where are they all coming from? I mean, you said they're from in, they're getting them from Indiana, but Park Ridge is pretty far from Indiana. <laughs> I appreciate the phone that's call. A, that's a that's a long way to go for some fireworks. Well, I mean, the reason why I say Indiana because it's legal. You know, it's, it's legal in this, in I, this state. So I get it, but it's crazy. It, it's just, I mean, it look, I, I'm not one to complain about the fireworks every year because I don't usually talk about because it it's like it's just part of the fireworks. It's part of July Fourth coming up, but it's just the the it's a different sound to these fireworks. It's a different look. Like it should not look like Sox Park. That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm telling you. It's isn't these aren't little fire these are these are boomers. It's it's like you're at a show, like a fireworks show. It's crazy. All right, my friend. Thanks for checking in. Yep. Three one two three three two ESPN three three two three seven seven six our phone number. Yeah, Davis, I like this is this is completely different than what we've heard. Yeah, we're finding out is everywhere. Oh, by the way, did did you pour out a little for Kenwood today? On Stone? Uh you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> You know, this is a, let's see, this is a, this is a longer topic, but I'll just, I'll make it short by saying this, you know, during the, these loot, this looting and this rioting that we had 
it's one thing to be able to look at someone's death and be angry about it. This is something that's not new. This has been going on generationally when there's something going on where um, the black community or any community feels like they're not being heard. You will get riots, right? You will get people that are wants to be heard. And now when they're tearing up their own community or tearing up other communities, as we saw downtown, um, you know, I personally don't think that's the right thing to do. I think many people don't think that's the right thing to do, but there's either rebel rousers or there are people um, that want to be heard and feel like they've um, have not been heard. So this is what they do in anger, in frustration. The thing I don't know about Kenwood Liquors is that I don't know when I drive past there on the south side, I don't know if people were looting Kenwood. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know if they were looting Kenwood or Kenwood put up their boards and put up the and made sure that no one would. And I saw earlier today, a, 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 a to me, an iconic Kenwood Liquors. My grandfather went into there. That was his spot on Stony Island. Okay. That was his spot. And they come to find out that they're going to close. Now they have two other locations, but that one was a, an iconic one for a long time. You saw people coming as soon as the doors open, there would be a flood of people coming in, getting their, their spirits for the holidays or for whatever occasion. And for that to be closed up. Now that's an eyesore on in that, in that part of the community in Calumet Heights. So I'm, I'm disappointed in that. Um, so yeah, I, I saw that today. It just it's a longer conversation, but I was disappointed to see that because Davis, the last thing that you want is to uh, have these businesses um, that are closed, that are locked down, and never coming back because of what happened with the looting. You know, uh, and it's it's really disappointing. That was a spot for a long time. Yeah. I just felt you grew up over there. Yeah. My grandfather lived over there. So definitely people don't understand just driving down Stony as a kid, the things that you will see, you know, you had the yeah. restaurants, you had the clubs and it was definitely a learning experience. And Kenwood Lookers was one of those things that was a visual landmark. And it was very iconic for the culture, like you said. So to yeah. hear about it closing for those reasons, even though it does have two other locations in the city, mm -hmm. it was very sad that it won't be in that neighborhood. Yeah, I did the appearance in Oak Lawn for Kenwood a couple of years ago. Yeah. Great people. I, yeah. I know the owners there, but just <clears throat> that was disappointing. But you understand during these times where there's some businesses that will close and never come back uh, because of what happened. So, I, yeah, that... I did pour one out and was very disappointed to see that because, again, you don't know what some of these businesses will be now that these owners are going elsewhere because of looting or because they don't feel safe and they're closing it up. So, I, yeah, I did see that today. Uh, very special guest that you're going to hear from coming up next, and that is Dr. Harry Edwards. If you have not heard this conversation, man, it's it's a great one. Harry Edwards, an American psychologist uh, and sociologist. Uh, and civil rights activist, a PhD at Cornell University, and really into sport, the intersection of sports and culture. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. We'll have that for you coming up next as you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Under the Hood. Under the Hood podcasts are available now on the all-new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports.
Coming from Dr. Harry Edwards coming up in just a moment right here on ESPN 1000. Full show tomorrow between 7 and 10. Hope that you're with us. The great two-time Super Bowl champion Howard Griffith will be with us tomorrow for Summer of Football 8 o'clock. Every night at 8 o'clock that I'm on, we talk football uh, for Summer of Football right here on ESPN 1000. Joe and Lakeview on ESPN 1000 with Jonathan Hood. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hi, Joe. I had some... uh thoughts about your the fireworks i think uh just about everyone can buy them online as well as in any of the states near uh illinois and then the other thing is just about every city and every municipality around the chicagoland area and and illinois has canceled their fireworks for the year so i think people are looking for a little bit of uh enjoyment and if they're easy to get and you can't get them from elsewhere um, I think a lot of people in the Chicagoland area are looking to blow off some steam. So there's going to be probably more fireworks. And I'm usually one that, like you said, I need to get some sleep, but I can understand why they might want to do it. Joe, Joe, do you have a, a direct line to the black market for these fireworks? Do you know where we can find those? You could just do a search on fireworks in Chicago and uh, on Google, and you'll see probably a thousand different places that will actually deliver to Illinois. But you don't have a business in particular that, because I would invest in your business if you had one. No, I could be a, maybe I'll be a new middleman if you want to start. <laughs> That's what I think, Joe. I think, I think we should all get in on the racket then. If everyone else is doing it, why don't can't you and I do that? Absolutely. Joe, I'm glad you checked in. Appreciate your phone call. Uh, so now we all know that you can be able to just pick up your fireworks online, but still, like, so I, so I guess this will extend past uh, the 4th of July. I guess we're going to get this in August and September as well. I guess so. I mean, I didn't know people had it like that money-wise. Uh, like Michael stuff. K. Williams is going to come to Chicago <laughs> for the man. Vice Series. Black what? market. Tell you what, man. <laughs> I thought people didn't have any money. Apparently, they had plenty of money to be able to get to a White Sox-like fireworks uh, around just random neighborhoods. Glad that you're with me here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Dr. Harry Edwards uh, is great when it comes to sociology and the way sports and culture intersect. Uh, he was on with Freddie Coleman and I. If you were listening last week, you know that uh, I was here, but I was working with uh, Freddie Coleman uh, doing our show for ESPN 1000, our station, and for the network. So, and had a great time with Freddie. Very great time with the legendary Freddie Coleman, who's been with the company for such a long time. That was some of last week's shows. If you missed some of our conversations, you can go to the archives of the ESPN Chicago app. Uh, click on Under the Hood. You can hear some of our interviews and conversations that Freddie and I had. A fun time always with uh, with Freddie Coleman. But we got a chance to talk to Dr. Harry Edwards. And if you missed that conversation, here it is. So it starts off by uh, reciting a quote from Harry Edwards. Silence is evil's greatest and most enduring ally. Um he also talks about how the courage is the greatest of all virtues because without it, no other virtue is possible. That's the quote from Dr. Harry Edwards. And uh, we talked to Dr. Edwards about that quote. Why did he use uh, those words on a post that we saw just recently? Oh, that's been on my mind for quite some time. I stated some uh, decades ago that um, I thought that uh, 
silence uh, really amounted to complicity. And when I looked at the fact that uh, while America was always uh, open to some extent to rallying around uh, pain in black and brown communities, they were far less uh, verbose, they were far less active and mobilized to rally around uh, meeting the challenges of the problem, uh, which was in the white community, white institutions, attitudes of supremacy, um, most certainly uh, the absolute hegemony over uh, definitional authority, uh, the fact that uh, black people in American society, brown people, have never been considered creditable witnesses to their own outcomes and experiences. Uh, it this goes all the way back to slavery with black people when slaves said, I want, to, I want to be free, and the slave owner said, my slaves are happy. Well, we know who won that argument. So we've been battling these issues for some time, but I hope this time around that we will uh, hear uh, vociferous, uh, determined, committed voices uh, and see actions uh, in white institutions and in white society where the problem is, and not just these massive rallies that we recycle back and forth to over the generations uh, around the pain uh, in the African-American community. Dr. Edwards, you've seen this on social media regarding the state of Mississippi and their flag. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, says that there's time for change for the uh, flag of Mississippi and says if there is no change, there's going to be consideration of precluding SEC events from being conducted in the state of Mississippi. What does that say for the intersection of sports, race, and society in 2020? Well, it said the same thing I said in uh, 1967 when I argued, 1966 when I argued for writing a dissertation on the sociology of sport. My committee argued there was no such thing, and I said that's why I want to write it. Uh, the um, uh, developments at the intersection of sport and society are so profound uh, that, as I argued then, I thought that we could leverage sport uh, to change people by changing their perceptions and understandings of the games they play. Uh, these latest issues uh, simply affirm uh, that uh, position that I took uh, over 50 years ago. Uh, not only do you have uh, the commission of the SEC saying no championship games will be in Mississippi, uh, the NC2A uh, has just ruled uh, that no championship games will be played uh, anywhere where they're flying the Confederate flag. So this uh, is an evolution of uh, the struggle that really started uh, at the turn of the 20th century when the Supreme Court uh, argued in, in point of fact passed an edict in 1896 uh, making segregation the law of the land under Plessy versus Ferguson. That same year, in 1896, Major Taylor, a world-class cyclist, was battling to enter competitions, uh, cycling competitions, in his own country, right here in the United States. So athletes have been involved in this struggle uh, from the outset, and that most certainly uh, continues today. What is encouraging is that we begin now to see uh, white America uh, begin to really mobilize and organize and speak out on the problems uh, in uh, their own communities and institutions. Uh, the Confederate flag at the University of Mississippi is a problem. Uh, the uh, rebel name uh, is a problem. The black uh, athletes who are playing for the University of Mississippi uh, would not have been rebels uh, in the uh, uh, antebellum uh, South. Uh, the uh, name Ole Miss, referring to uh, the slave master's wife, 
uh, is uh, a problem. So there's a lot of work to be done, but I'm glad to see that there's some movement. We know that when you have struggle, overcoming a struggle, and having people realize exactly what that struggle has always been about, even at the initial people having that attention thrown at them and realizing it, there's always that word ugly in terms of things could get a lot uglier before they get prettier. What are your thoughts about that, especially in these times? There has never been a struggle in American, uh, on American soil where those in authority and the mainstream did not oppose it. And this goes back to Sam Adams and his Sons of Liberty movement that threw 346 cases of tea into the Boston Harbor. That wasn't a British government program. Uh, the same with the abolitionist movement. It was broadly opposed, both North and South. Uh, the same uh, with the women's suffrage movement. The same with the labor movement, which was bloody, both North and South. The same with the civil rights movement, which from the turn of the uh, 20th century, through the assassination of Dr. King, killed three times as many people as were killed in the 9-11 terrorist attack. Uh, we now have the Black Lives Matter movement. We went through the Black Power movement. We went through the gay rights movement. We uh, went through the uh, environmentalist movement. We're in the midst of the Me Too movement. This is what we Americans do, and it always turns ugly. There are always going to be martyrs. There are going to be those, nonetheless, who have the courage and the commitment to step up and make the sacrifice. The Muhammad Ali's, the Dr. King's, the Malcolm X's, the Colin Kaepernick's, uh, who stepped up uh, despite it all. The Maya Moore's. Uh, these are uh, critical uh, actors at the interface of uh, these uh, movements, and athletes have always have always been involved. Uh, speaking of Colin Kaepernick, Doctor Edwards, um, so I thought it was just a brilliant NFL Films video that was that you had um, writing a letter to uh, Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh, one of the great coaches of all time in the National Football League. So, what would a Walsh Kaepernick combo look like in 2020, based on everything you know about about uh, Coach Walsh and Kaepernick and his movement? Well, if Bill Walsh had been around and an active coach in the NFL, Kaepernick wouldn't have been on the street. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that, you know, Bill Walsh wasn't just a great coach. He was a great man. I mean, I've known great men in my career, uh, from Malcolm X and Dr. King, uh, Paul Robeson, um, most certainly um, uh, some of the uh, individuals even who have uh, uh, wound up uh, running for president. But at the end of the day, uh, I put uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, I put uh, Bill Walsh uh, in that class. Uh, I think that uh, the greatest thing that he uh, would have contributed today is to try to get people to slow down, stop slobbering and, 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 you know, calling foul, listen, try to understand what these athletes are saying, even though it doesn't, didn't have anything to do with football. This is something that came over the stadium wall that Kaepernick said, we're better than this. That's what he was saying. We're better than 147 black men, women, and children being shot down, most of them unarmed by police officers uh, in this country every year. And don't bring that argument, well, black people kill more pe black people than police officers do. The difference is, of course, and this is one thing that Bill and I talked about even back in the day, uh, because it was part of the reason I organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights. The difference is that when murder occurs under cover of the badge, it uh, 
destroys trust in the judicial system to the place that people in the community will not even call out the cops to deal with local crime, even crimes of murder, uh, because the cops will come out and kill them. And so we, we, we need to be honest about this. And uh, Bill understood that. We talked about it a great deal. Uh, and um, I uh, believe uh, to this day that if Bill had been an active coach in the league, Kaepernick wouldn't have been on the street. If sports were going on, because we know COVID-19, the pandemic, has taken sports away. Dr. Evers, if sports were going on, how effective would the message of athletes speaking out be? Well, I think that uh, that's always a question that can be posed. But the reality is that we're in a pandemic. We have athletes at the Dallas Cowboys who've tested positive. We have athletes at the San Francisco 49ers who've tested positive. We have athletes at Clemson who's tested positive. I've talked to NBA coaches who are worried to death about this situation in Orlando where you have all these athletes in three hotels, cannot go, cannot leave, nobody can come in. Uh, What you essentially have there is a cruise ship uh, environment. Uh, we don't even know how uh, we're going to deal with the restrooms uh, where we know that every time a toilet is flush, you aerosol the virus if the person uh, involved uh, um, has, um, has the virus. In football, you can't put all 32 teams up in three or four hotels and have them play in one stadium. You, uh, you have got to travel, and that means getting on a plane. Well, what happens uh, if uh, you have a game uh, with a team from the West Coast going to the East Coast, uh, uh, Seattle going to Miami or San Francisco going to New York? And what about the different standards and protocols in each state? What are each team walking into? What are they bringing? What are they likely to carry away? Given the fact that we don't have a national policy, you essentially have 50 countries countries with different protocols uh, enforced to different degrees at different levels. So all of this plays into this situation, and we could talk about if there were games. Uh, but uh, I could also say if today was Christmas, I wouldn't be doing this interview. So uh, we have to look at what the realities are, and I don't think that anything will override uh, the health uh, issues, the workplace safety issues that we're confronted with. And in point of fact, unless adjustments are made and clearly uh, defined uh, in terms of the interest of the people who are there, not just the players, but so we have coaches in the NFL, for example, who are in their late 60s. Uh, we have coaches in the NBA who are in their late 60s. They are part of the vulnerable population. What about them? If these things are not taken into consideration, uh, then I think that we're going to have a classic management, labor, workplace struggle around workplace safety. I think that that's where this whole thing is headed. Dr. Edwards, for you personally, not from a historic context, but just for you personally, how does player empowerment from players in 2020, how does it make you feel when you're seeing LeBron James and others being able to speak their mind and be able to speak truth to power? Every generation, every wave of athlete activists has uh, come at this struggle from a different perspective. That's why uh, Bill Russell uh, was not Earl Lord and Chuck Cooper. Jim Brown was not Kenny Washington and Woody Strode. Uh, most certainly, Smith and Carlos were not Jesse Owens. And, uh, uh, you know, you, you, uh, Kurt Flood was not Jackie Robinson. They all can't come at it from a uh, different contextual uh, perspective and all of the context that they bring to the struggle in their era uh, is uh, is virtually unique. 
I didn't have in 1968 when I organized the Olympic Project for Human Rights to social media. Uh, I used a uh, rotary phone. And if I dialed 100 people and was lucky enough to be there when 50 of them called back and 20 of them didn't think I was totally insane, maybe five of them would actually sign on to do something in terms of the movement. Today, you can have an athlete sitting on his bed in his house at 2 o'clock in the morning who sees something that he doesn't like and uh, puts out a tweet or an Instagram and hits the most powerful four-letter word in the history of the world, S-E-N-D, and it goes out to uh, 5 million people, they send it out to uh, a couple of million more people. Next thing you know, it's around the world. So we uh, cannot really talk about LeBron, say, relative to Kareem, because the times are different. Any more than we could talk about Smith and Carlos relative to Jesse Owens, who, by the way, tried to organize the first boycott of the Olympic Games in 1935 over the treatment of Jews in Germany. He was against going to Munich, but Brundage, of course, uh, went over and paid a visit to Germany and came back and said that this man, Hitler, is all right, so we need to, we need to go. They still barely got the vote to go, but uh, you can't compare athletes in terms of uh, activism from generation to generation that closely because the context within which they're operating is so different. Uh, LeBron has money, he has fame, he has fortune, he has access to the uh, Internet and so forth, something that we could never have dreamed of in 1968. So when LeBron, D-Wade, Carmelo, and CP3 went to ESPN and said, we got a statement to make and we want some time on your uh, premier show, the ESPYs, uh, ESPN said, uh, how much time you need? You know, if I had gone, if I had gone to the local newspaper in 1968 with Smith and Carlos and these world-class Olympians and say, we have something to say, uh, you know, they'd have said, hey, will you take that someplace else? Take it to the Black Panther paper. We don't print stuff like that. So uh, a lot of things have changed, and it's very difficult to make comparisons across a generation of active athletes. The one thing that is the same is the character of the struggle. In 1968, one of our points was the murder of black people on the cover of the badge in this country has to stop. That's why I joined the Black Panther Party after the murder of 16-year-old Bobby Hutton, who was shot 17 times in Oakland, standing with his back to the police and nothing but his shorts. Uh, we're still battling that same uh, problem today. The struggle and the dynamics of the struggle remain the same. The context and the activist athletes involved are quite different. Great conversation with Dr. Harry Edwards. Man, he was great. Thanks to Bernard Pollard. Thanks to Andre Snelly. Thanks for you for listening to Under the Hood with John the Hood. Sean Davis on the other side of the glass. We'll do this again tomorrow. Full show, 7 to 10 right here. Don't forget the podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, look for ESPN Chicago. And look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.